0: One thing I was, I was telling Cindy this last night. I said the one thing I feel a little bit bad about this this setting we, with Isaiah and then Jeremiah and then we're going to get Ezekiel and Daniel that are that are speaking in, from the exile after they've been taken to Babylon after Jerusalem has been destroyed and the the responsibility of of uh, Jeremiah to preach to a people about to be destroyed. This part of the Bible can be kind of a bummer. It's not really sweetness and light and wonderfulness because the people are so bad. You know? And he's trying to maintain, and the Savior is in the middle of this saying, I still love you, come on back, don't leave me. But if you don't, then we're going to have to wipe you out. And so we have this whole setting, and it, again, it makes this part of it kind of a downer. Uh, and, and on one side, I think we need to be able to find the positives in here. But on the other side, there is an element of this that ought to feel like now, shouldn't it? I mean, we're trying to be lights in the wilderness in a world that is gradually becoming more wicked. And so we get this balance, and I think that's why we're. It's a little bit like reading the, reading the last, like reading the Book of Mormon in the Book of Mormon. That's kind of a downer bad stuff is happening and you've got uh, and I, I equate Jeremiah a little bit with Mormon who had, at least in, in Mormon's case he's not even able to preach Jeremiah is told preach and then get jailed preach and then get stoned kind of like Lehi okay so so through all of this let's make sure that we kind of equate this a little bit to the importance that we have of recognizing that we also operate in a very wickening. Is that a world wickening? Wicked Becoming More Wicked? Wickening.
1: World. Well, not make it a word. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. So I want to uh,
0: remember this this part of Jeremiah you can also find chunks of in the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and in Second Kings. Uh, and so we have. So if we looked in 2 Kings 22 to kind of set up what it is that we're going to be talking about today in Jeremiah. Go, go up to Hakiah the high priest. As it turns out, Hakiah is actually the, uh, he's the father of Jeremiah. That he may sum the silver which is brought unto the house of the Lord... That the keepers of the door may have gathered for the people. Now, let, let, me, let, let me just say this. Here's what's happening. Uh, the priests are stealing the tithing funds. The, the priests are stealing the fast offerings. People are bringing the silver with an idea towards this is what we're going to use to keep the temple in good repair. But they're kind of hiding the silver. They're certainly not spending it. In some cases, they're allocating it to their own... Uh, personal lives. So when King Josiah is coming in, he's saying he gives he gives his priests a, res- a responsibility. Go in the temple. The temple is falling apart. It's not being taken care of. Go get the silver so that and fix it. Fix the temple. Uh, which the keepers of the door have gathered to the people. So they were kind of snarfing this on the side. It's a little. This is not unlike when the Savior is. Uh, goes in and cleanses the temple not because they weren't supposed to be having animals available for sacrifice at the time of the Savior but that they were cheating people and they were charging twice as much and they were using the wrong monies and in other words they were this was their livelihood and they were doing it very fraudulently okay so let them deliver it into the hands of the doers of the work, into the contractors, that have oversight for the house of the Lord, those in charge of the buildings, and let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house. Now let me, let, let me stop for a second. Imagine, for instance, if you decided on a Friday evening that you're going to go to the temple, and you go down to the temple, and the the cement's kind of falling apart and there are holes in the walls and the carpet is all worn as you're walking in. You can kind of see the concrete underneath the carpets in the temple, you know. And and you go into the endowment rooms and there's like duct tape on the curtains. What would you think? Yeah, it's not bad, is it? Oh my gosh, you know? What what impression would you have? This is the house of the Lord, and, and they've got cardboard over one of the windows. What would you think? Pardon i was in the wrong section of the town. Yeah. So And what would you think might be amiss? I wonder
1: whether the Lord's house.
0: Is this really the Lord's house? Somebody
1: in charge is their job. Right, somebody in
0: charge is supposed to. And they're not doing this their job because. They are using the money for something else. What does that tell you about the attitude of those in charge of the temple towards the house of the Lord? Yeah, you get this that if the temple is in disrepair, what does that say about the people? Yeah, what does that say about their attitude towards the temple? No, they don't. They don't really care. It's seen as more of a. It, it's a little bit like um, for those of you who have gone through the Kirtland Temple, and they have their great little guides, you know, from the Community Christ that are going to show you this great building, and they'll show you the architectural features, and here's where the pulleys were that bring the curtains down over the. Pulpits and everything. And if you say, and where was it that Elijah stood? I didn't know that Elijah stood there. You know? And, and, and they have this sense of a building, uh, which by the way has some cracks in it, and we're paying for trying to maintain that building. And um,
1: the tourist cost, right?
0: And the tourist cost, yeah. But it's a sense of seeing it as a building but not necessarily seeing it as a house of the Lord. Yeah. I'm just
1: gonna to add to that, we can
0: also We do get a chance, members of it, that in that area and the missionaries do get to have firesides and some special meetings, zone conferences and things in the building because of what we contribute. But it's seen as a building. It's simply seen as a building.
1: couple of years. But. Okay. And I was so dismayed because they were having a conference there and they were sleeping in tents and everything around the curtain temple. Oh, uh-huh. And it was in such disarray, they would let you in certain areas. And, and it just looked like it was just...
0: Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit... St- st- it's hard isn't it I mean I went to we were a small enough group now if you have a big group you can't do the very upper rooms of the temple but we were a small group so we got to go up there and was we're walking from room to room up there and he's just saying okay let me just walk you through all these rooms so I can show you where Joseph Smith's office was and here's a desk that looks just like Joseph Smith's desk and I'm thinking no these are the rooms don't you realize what was seen in these rooms what was done in these rooms who visited these rooms <laughs> kid had no clue. It was a building. Wow. And, and I think when, in, in this case, where you're talking about to, repeat, to repair breaches in the house, it says more about the breaches where? In the hearts, in the people, and how little they understand. So it just becomes a building to them. And we'd rather spend the money on our own house than on this house. This is the Temple of Solomon. Hey? All right. So they're going to, now. They're going to go about. They're going to repair the breaches of the house. And Hilkiah the high priest said to Saffron the, the, the scribe, Saphan, "I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord." Oh, wait a minute. Well, we're going through here. We're collecting the silver and everything. Oh, what's this thing? It's the Torah. (laughs) We found the scriptures in there. Don't you think we... So not only is the building falling apart, but they're not even using the Torah. They're not even using the scriptures. Okay. Wow. There's a lot of laws here. Are we doing any of these? No, we're not. Wow. Should we? Well, I think so. So... Gives it to Siphon. He read it. Oh my gosh. Uh, Siphon, the the scribe, showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And he read it before the king. And here's all the stuff coming from Sinai to Moses, the law of Moses and all this. None of which they are, doing. It's a little bit like when we fought after World War II and we got into some of the little branches of the church on the other side that have been in war torn World War II areas, you know, and and they've got uh, and the women are running the sacrament and they're I mean we're they kinda of changed they're just kind of doing things based on expediency. But they were kinda of, but I don't know what law they were and exactly what they were using the temple for. Probably no burnt offerings. So you get this sense when they finally read it, and it came to pass that when King Josiah had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. And you get this sense of, oh my gosh, we have, how far have we fallen? And this is where, as we've been talking about, so now there's going to be this, this great revival of read the law to the people. We're going to try and stir everybody up. We're going to try and get righteous again. Uh, and this is where... And we're going to talk about this a little bit more. And in this zeal to get people reading the scriptures... And to, and to live the law and repair the temple... And get back to the righteousness of David and Solomon... That they zealously go too far. They cross over... Make it, learning the law and writing it in their inner parts... And make it all about the law... And now we're going to start, and the scribes will start prescribing and telling exactly what each law means and, and what you're supposed to do. And they just take it way, way too far. In fact, we're going to start even editing our history to make sure it reflects that it's all about the law because we're so horrified that it was forgotten.
1: Yeah.
0: The, the, the scribes were kind of like the rabbis. They were the ones that were now supposed to interpret the law. So that's why I say I think you could I think you could very easily see when somebody would come to them and say we haven't been living the law for a long time how do we know if we're working on the Sabbath or not? And you can see these scribes going well let's see let's come up with a number that if you gather this amount of stuff that's okay on the Sabbath this amount of stuff and now you're working on the Sabbath and now oh well, let's add that so we'll put that in the Mishnah we'll put that in the in, in the Torah uh, and start prescribing and getting down to all the littlest details about how all of this is supposed to work in response to the questions of the people for that are really based in we want to live the law. Uh, for instance, let, let me give you one other example of this. Uh, if today, and, and we've mentioned this before, but let me just say it again for those who we don't remember. If today the Dome of the Rock that sits in Israel on top of Mount Moriah that is the second holiest shrine in all of Islam were to come tumbling down and, and the Muslims for whatever reason said uh, we don't care about that place anymore and Jews could go up on top of Mount Moriah and walk around on this place where, where the temple stood would orthodox Jews go up there no why? why would orthodox Jews not go up on top of Mount Moriah it's a great chance to be where the temple was because they don't know, what? They don't know where the Holy of Holies was. So in other words, in our walking around, we might even stand on that space where there's no Holy of Holies, but where it stood, because in the Holy of Holies, who's supposed to go there? Only the High Priest on the Day of Atonement, okay? And nobody else was supposed to, and we might stand on that spot, and, and then we're in trouble, because it says it only, Okay. So we're going to follow rigidly all of those kind of things. Okay, now why is that important? It become it begins to play a bigger role as we're going to see in just a second. Okay, so does that make sense? So now we're in the middle of all of this revival. Okay, so now let's turn to uh, Jeremiah seven. now you've got all these people and by, by well intent they're really wanting now to live this but it begins given the wickedness, underlying wickedness of the people, remember we're not that far away from their ultimate destruction here uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying stand at the gate of the Lord's house, stand out from the temple uh, verse 3 Uh, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, amend your ways and your doing, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Now, listen closely to what he's going to... Here's what he wants Jeremiah to say. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Wow. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doing. And execute judgment from a man and his neighbor. If you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. and the widow, shed not innocent blood. Uh, neither walk in other gods. So you're hurt, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. But here's what you're doing, those of you who are, and, and, and picture for a moment, uh, active Latter Day Saints, and they've got their we've got our little temple bag. You know, the non-members are always wondering, gee, I wonder what's in those little bags. And we're always carrying those little bags into the temple. And we got our bag in one hand and we got our temple recommend in the other. And we're, we're on our way. We're marching into the temple. And there's a prophet standing out in front going, behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods ye know not? And come and stand before me in this house. What were they doing? What's he accusing them of? What's that? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Were they coming to the temple? Yeah, were they now burning offerings to the Lord? Yes, they were doing all that. They had their temple recommend. They were now doing the, the words of the Torah. We're now doing the law of Moses perfectly. And then what else were they doing?
1: Worshipping Baal.
0: Worshipping Baal.
1: And other gods.
0: And stealing and murdering and committing adultery and swearing falsely.
1: The
0: they were breaking the commandments but they were temple recommend holders that's what he said you guys are showing up you're doing the law on the sabbath or you're, burnt, you're doing this stuff and what else are you doing you're breaking all the commandments so he's, is he calling to repentance the, the totally inactive and wicked no he's going after the active members on this one how dare you hold a temple recommend and do all of these things And then you're going to say, well, how are you going to be doing that? You're going to say, in verse 4, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In other words, they would say differently, I have a temple recommend. Buy my product. Do my stuff. And it's okay, and I can can do all of these things because I have a temple recommend.
1: I don't know if they have temple-recommend interviews like we do. <laughs>
0: Probably no temple-recommend, yeah.
1: Right, but I was thinking if they did have some type of interview to go to the temple, wouldn't that um, condemnation come upon the leaders of the church for allowing them to go to the temple? Oh,
0: yes. In other words, how if right. there was some kind of process that the leaders would be kind of in on this. Mm-hmm. Right? As we're going to kind of find out. Remember, who is it that was hanging on to the silver? Oh, <laughs> You know? <laughs> who is it that was like letting the temple fall apart while they're collecting money on the side? Oh, yeah. Okay? Now, do we ever get caught up in that, by the way? Does our, do we ever look at our temple recommend as maybe that's kind of a get out of jail free card? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Or we're actively plotting the death of the Savior. How do we capture him? How do we get him? How, how do we blame him? How do we kill him? Now let's go offer some burnt offerings.
1: Exactly, with Zacharias, he was a priest. Yes. And when he wouldn't tell where his son John the Baptist was, he was murdered.
0: He murdered right at right at the altar of incense. Yeah. Oh. So on one side they were doing all of the the outward performances of the things looked fine. But it was the inner state of their hearts in active law of Moses participants that he's decrying. It's not those that are completely apostate and couldn't care less about the temple. This is where it ought to cut to our heart just a little bit. The question is, um, I I was talking to a friend of mine last night and he said that He'd had a, uh, uh, a, a friend of his in the middle of gospel doctrine. Had, they were talking about something, and he said, "As far as I get it, you know, once you've been sealed in the temple, uh, if you don't murder, you're basically sealed up to eternal life. So everything else, you may have to do some repenting later on. But hey, you know, I got a temple recommend, and that's going to kind of and, and but and I've been sealed. So if I ever do something in the future," little beatings, little, you know. And sure enough, before too long, uh, he ends up being excommunicated for activities he shouldn't have been involved in. But at the back of his head, it's like, yeah, but I'm still sealed. I, The temple, the temple, the temple. I'm in the temple and I was there and life is good. Okay? Now, again, what jumps out at you? What, what is he Please steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely. Uh, In this house, which is called, verse 11. In this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers. And remember again, the difference between thieves and robbers. Thieves are people that steal. Robbers are those that usurp authority big difference between the two. One is petty theft. The other one is trying to steal authority. So in in robbing and trying to make yourselves the authority with this lying heart of yours. And chief among that is uh, verse 6. If you oppress not the stranger the fatherless? The widow? What was their biggest sin? The way they were treating the poor. And that's going to come home over and over. You want to be destroyed? Do two things. <coughs> stone the prophets. Kill the poor. or Starve the poor. Yeah.
1: I have a question. When it says, and not shed innocent blood. Yeah. Okay, in our modern day terms, I... Personally,
0: feel that that could mean abortion. Oh, that's an interesting thought.
1: And I don't know if that was attacked as much then or not.
0: I'll tell you. The, I'll tell you the five seconds of gross.
1: <laughs>
0: what they were doing was was uh, sacrificing to Moloch, and Moloch was the um, where they were uh, doing child sacrifices. They were hollow. Statues that they filled with hot coals, so they were red hot, and then they would they would place the kids on. There. Okay. Really gross. I mean, so it was
1: definitely. It, it, uh,
0: and and there was a lot of child sacrifice going on, which is fascinating that it would be those people that would then show up and do burnt offerings. You know, and so we're temple recommend holders, but we're over here sacrificing children, to to Moloch. Okay, new subject. Should we move on? Okay. <laughs> Okay. So again, it's just a reminder to us that our our temple recommend uh, protects us from a lot of things, but it does not protect us from temptation necessarily and from sin or from the consequences of sin. Even if we have been to the temple. Because there are an awful lot of people I think in the church who have been through the temple but the temple hasn't necessarily been through them. That it seemed like it was kind of a confusing set of stuff but the covenants and promises and commitments never quite
1: lit them up. If that makes sense. Yeah. This reminds me of Wilford Anderson's at conference. Like, I could teach you to dance. Yes.
0: You have to be able to hear the music. I of the gospel they were so busy doing righteous deeds they thought that outward doing that they felt to become righteous. I thought about that one too Teresa because I, I, there is this there is this uh, sense of for so many people that maybe have grown up in the church and they go to the temple how many of them have never heard the music? They've done the dance and the dance was always kind of mom and dad always made sure I kept the commandments and you know, I've got me to church every Sunday, but I've never heard the music. A great point. So, when temptation is going to come along, that music sounds better than what I've what I thought I heard, but I've never heard it. I've got a lady right now that's struggling with the church, and 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 she finally said to me, "Do you know what? I don't know that I can ever say that ever in my life that I've ever received an answer to prayer." I've never had the Spirit confirm to me an answer of anything ever. And she served in a lot of callings in the church. So what do you say? We're having to actually go backwards, you know, and and talk about how to get answers to prayer, what it feels like, and what it would feel like to her. Things that you would hope she would have learned early on in life and never did. <laughs> See, I, I have a hard time believing that somebody didn't grow up in the church and and feel it, but nobody pointed out to them that's the music. Mm-hmm. What you're feeling is the music, and if you're feeling the music, here's what that means. And it's testifying that if you're feeling that, it's like I've said before. I'm always amazed by the kids that will sit in after Efy or Trek or something. And how was fast and te- How was the uh, testimony mean? Oh, it was great. It was wonderful. The spirit was great. What does that mean if you felt the Spirit? What it just meant the Spirit was there. No, what was it testifying? The Spirit doesn't just show up and you feel it. It's testifying to something. What was it testifying to? That's the music. I'm to
1: find out feeling
0: the so they okay, and there's the Spirit. What does it mean if you're feeling the Spirit? What is it? it what were we just talking about? We were talking about the Savior. If, it, then it's then testifying that the Savior is the Savior that He lived. Rest- we were talking about the restoration. What would the Spirit be telling? It's saying that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and you're and you're you're getting a testimony right now that he was a prophet. Yeah. And it's a really great argument for writing down those experiences because we do forget. We do, and I. Yeah. Yeah, and I felt it. and Here was my impressions at the time. Yeah. Okay, a uh, couple things. Now, I'm going to move on. A uh, couple things I want to point out. Uh, number one, uh, he says, if you don't stop what you're doing, uh, you're going to go into my place, which was in Shiloh, where I sent my name at first. Anybody know what Shiloh was? Wasn't it It was the temple before the temple. Shiloh was a city uh, before King David identified Mount Moriah and set up the the footings for them to build Solomon's temple. Shiloh was the place after the children of Israel crossed into Israel where they brought the the, the Ark of the Covenant and and the tabernacle and plopped it in Shiloh. And that was kind of the temple headquartered for a while. It's north of Jerusalem. It's a city that's no longer there. But anybody know what happened to Shiloh? It got overrun by the Philistines and was torn down. And remember, they stole the Ark of the Covenant. They It was leveled. They stole the Ark of the Covenant. Remember this story? And then the Philistines take it with them and all the raiders of the lost ark they have the, the, they have the ark of the covenant there people start dying I mean I don't know that like angels melting. were like shh, pouring out and zapping everybody with flames from their eyeballs but they, but they stole the ark of the covenant people started dying and then the Philistines brought it back and said here take it back we don't want this anymore But basically what he's saying to you is if you don't repent, I will do to Mount Moriah, I will do to this temple what I did to Shiloh. It will be leveled and and the ark will be stolen again. Was it? Yeah, it was. Okay. Let me mention one other thing. Because whenever we run into little bits of Potential controversy stuff. I, I want us to have at least had a discussion so you kind of know where sometimes this stuff comes from. And it's right here. It's in two places. Uh, Jeremiah 7, 18 and also Jeremiah 44. Okay? 17. See what they do in the cities of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem. The children gather wood and the fathers kindle the fire and the women knead the bread and make... Takes to who? Oh. The Queen of Heaven. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. For years and years and years, we supposed a straight, uh, a very simple answer to this verse, and that was that what they were doing was sacrificing to Asherah or Asherah, who was the the wife of Baal. So it was a it was an idol worship kind of thing. Okay. That was probably true to a certain extent. More recent research suggests, and a number of uh, BYU professors are certainly kind of on board with this, um, that also this is a reference to the fact that part of what the Deuteronomists actually at the time of Josiah actually started moving, taking the plain and precious truths out of the Old Testament, part of what they took out was a worship of mother in heaven. That there was some evidence for the fact that there was a number of worship of mother in heaven that they were offering offerings to her. Footnotes is
1: fertility
0: okay. goddess. Yeah, and, so, and that's why I say it'll say in there, Asherah, which is the fertility goddess, but the more, that's why I say more recent stuff is saying, and it also could be a reference to the fact that they're finding things in apocryphal settings that says that they knew that they believed that Jehovah had a wife and that her name was Asherah and that her symbol was the tree of life. That's her. And that they were worshiping her. And in fact, they're going to say in Jeremiah 44, we got destroyed because you stopped us from worshiping mom. Okay? He is but it, with an idea that it, that could have been rewritten because in other places the, the, the condemnation was a little different. Uh, now, this is where, by the way, then, remember a number of years ago we had a number of sisters in the church uh, that ran into trouble because they wanted to pray to Mother in Heaven. This is This is one of the places that they were going to to say... There seems to have been, among the ancients, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, some understanding of who she was. Uh, And and I believe if you go to Proverbs 8, you'll find her in the first person speaking. Okay, But there she is. And they knew her and they worshipped her. Now, that said, when was the last time that you heard in general conference if (laughs) preached from the pulpit? Where in the Doctrine and Covenants do you find any discussion of her? Now, we are really quick sometimes in the church to say, well, is she there? Yes. Why don't we know about her? Well, um, Father loves her so much that he saw his name being drugged through the mud, so he didn't want her name to be drugged through the mud, so he's deliberately kept that secret. Okay? There is nowhere in the scriptures that we say that either. That was somebody's opinion. Now, if the Lord wanted us to know more about Mother in Heaven, would we know about her? Yes. yes. Would it be preached in General Conference? Yes. Would it be in our manuals? Yes. 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 Would it be in the Doctrine and Covenants? Yes. yes. Is she there? Yes. No. How come? We don't, we don't know. know. <laughs> the simple answer is, is that the Lord, for whatever reason, has chosen not to. To reveal any more information about her? Because even if the Deuteronomists took it out, which we think they did, it was never restored by Joseph Smith openly to Eliza Snow. Well, how do we know there's a mother in heaven? Well, I had this conversation with Eliza Snow. And Eliza Snow then put it in her, in her song, and so we have it there. Okay, outside of that, however, I don't know. The answer is. It's a big unknown. If anybody wants to know why we don't have more on the Mother of Heaven, we have no idea why. It's just that the Lord has chosen not to reveal anything more. And as to the reasons, we have no idea. Yeah?
1: And we don't need to know. I think mean, some people, they get so caught up in why. We... Obviously, we don't need to right now. Apparently. we've been told we have all the ordinances. We have everything we need. If we right needed now, that, we would have, we would have we that. Yeah,
0: that's a good point okay perfect but all, all I'm saying is just kind of be aware that that, that knowledge is they're, they're kind of putting this together a little bit there's a wonderful um, biblical uh, scholar by the name of Margaret Barker who has done some wonderful research they had her come to BYU and speak in a forum setting and she's kind of the, the lead on this and so if you want to know a little more about that I would read with her okay plenty Margaret Barker
1: if he, not LDS.
0: She's not LDS, no. She the one that lived in Logan or I don't know if she did or not. She's from England.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not Jen Ships. Oh, okay. Who's kind of the? She called herself the den mother of Mormonism. Okay. That's it. So let's let's move on. Wow, okay. I that one. Okay. But Want to talk about blindness? So let's, uh, let's go to Jeremiah 5. and go backwards a little bit. By the way, part of what makes Jeremiah a little bit tougher is that it ain't even close to being in chronological order. <laughs> the chapters are moved around, you know. So uh, 7 actually comes before 5. And then there's like 11 and 12. Then we're back to 2 and 3. And it's just... So, there's no way to read Jeremiah in a straight chronological order because somehow it got put together by probably Deuteronomist. They're messing with things again. Okay?
1: Or he thinks like I do and journals like I do.
0: <laughs> they just journal and remembering stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. are yeah, okay. put this in and that in. <laughs> That's funny. Okay.
0: Because I want. I want there, Kind of a very cool thing that kind of jumps out at you with this, and it's going to enable you to see a little bit more closely what was actually being taught by Jeremiah. Hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. In other words, I'm dealing with the people that are blind. Now, the question is, what were they blind to? They were blind to the music. <laughs> Great point. Okay, I want you to, want you to see something here. Uh, let's go over to Jacob 4 in the Book of Mormon. Jacob's responsibility, as closely we can tell... Uh, there's some beautiful temple discussions that he has. We believe that he was a a priest in the temple, uh, brother of Nephi. And he's going to tell us uh, verse 13. Behold my brethren, he that prophesy, let him prophesy, for the Spirit speaketh the truth and lieth not. Therefore it speaketh of things as they really are, as opposed to what we think they are. They speak of things as they really are and of things as they really will be. And these things are manifested unto us plainly. Now, what is it? Well, verse 14. Behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people and they despised the words of Plainness. And he's talking specifically about the Jews that Jeremiah was preaching to and that his father Lehi was preaching to. They despised the words of plainness. Well, what, what plainness? He was calling them repentance. What plainness are they missing? Well, he's going to tell us. The words of plainness and killed the prophets. And here's an interesting phrase and sought for things they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, you you have eyes and do not see, because of your blindness, which blindness comes by doing a very interesting thing? It's looking where? Beyond, Beyond the, mark. the mark. Now, when we talk about Ezekiel, Ezekiel's going to have a vision... And there's a very specific mark that is placed on people. And and I'll I'll just tease that. But in this case, he's going to say, we're looking beyond the mark. They're looking beyond the mark. They must needs fall, for God hath taken away his plainness from them and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand because they desired it, because they desired it, God hath done it, that they may stumble. There was some plainness among them that they refused to look at that they ignored, that they looked past. They wanted things more complicated. That's why when we get into Ezekiel and the dry bones and Daniel and stones rolling and, you know, we get all of this stuff and it's not very plain like we get in the Book of Mormon, right? Well, they didn't want the plainness. They wanted the complexity. They wanted the they wanted the stuff that rabbis could pontificate about <laughs> and get made, and make lots of money because they're the true seekers, uh, understanders of the word. I think
1: it's because it lets you off the hook when it's You're a Okay. You
0: Hold on to that. Neil Maxwell's going to agree with you completely because <laughs> there is some beauty to that. There, there is some beauty in saying, "I didn't know." Had I known it, I would have done it. But hey, I didn't know, so you can't blame me. Okay? You're right on track. Okay? But there's something specifically, there's a specific piece of plainness they were leaving out. Okay? And, and it's this. If we, and it's actually in Helaman 8. In Helaman eight, he's going to say he's talking about the coming of the Son of God. He's come, talking about the Savior. Yeah. Well, we jump to Helaman.
1: Okay. But, Our, you have, you it's verse 14. fourteen.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is this is the book of Helaman. Hold on. Let me show you what I did. Okay. We've gone from Jeremiah. Because you need to link these, these together. And I would, if, you, if, you, if you're doing paper scriptures, I would just kind of write them in, okay? So in Jeremiah, he's going to talk about that they're blind. And we're going to link that with Jacob 4.14. Right there. You see, I just switched it over. Now we're in the Book of Mormon. And he's going to say the Jews were a stiff-necked people and they were blind because they, they, were, they were looking beyond the mark. Now I'm going to jump one more time, and let's go to the book of Helaman eight. I'm going to go to Helaman eight, and Jacob four fourteen is the link. It's the cross reference. Okay, you with me?
1: You just have to look at. The see, I know where I'm going. You guys should just. It's yeah, a, look at the very Yeah,
0: just look at the very top.
1: You see what Helaman you eight. Yeah, <coughs> well
0: I know. I I just get going. I'm doing my thing. Reel me in. Okay? All right. Did not Moses bear record that the Son of God should come? As he lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness that they should be lifted up. And remember the thing about the brazen serpent was they, they put it up there. They'd all been bitten by snakes. The flying fiery serpents. And you simply had to look at it and live don't look at it die. and die. But everybody's bit, so it isn't like you. There's a third option. You're carrying the blood of bitterness. You've got that poison in you. Look at it and live. Don't look and die. It's really simple, and it's very, very plain. It's not complicated. Okay. Now they did bear record that the Son of God should come. He lifted it up. Many would look, would live. Uh, those that had a contrite spirit, I think it's kind of dumb, but I'm going to do it anyway because the prophet told me to. Okay, well wow, that it works. Uh, and Moses, and behold, Moses, verse sixteen, did not only testify to these things, but all the holy prophets, even from the days of Abraham, prophesied about what the coming of the Son of God, specifically naming Him. Very, very clear. It's not complicated. verse 17 Abraham saw his coming was filled with gladness and did rejoice and probably and preached it. There were many before the days of Abraham that were called after the order of the Son of God to preach his name. verse 19 now I would that ye should know that even since the days of Abraham there have been many prophets that have testified to these things. Behold, the prophet Zenos did testify boldly of what? The coming of the Savior by name. For which he was slain. And behold, also Zenic did the same thing. When was Zenic? We don't know. It was on the brass plates that somebody left out. But managed to get to the brass plates. Deuteronomy didn't get to touch the brass plates. That's what happened. That's where we're going. And and, uh, Ezekiel and Isaiah and who? Jeremiah. Well, how about that? Jeremiah being the same prophet who testified of the destruction of Jerusalem and now we know that Jerusalem was destroyed according to the words of (coughs) Jeremiah Oh, then why not the Son of God come according to... Whose prophecy? Jeremiah. So for $64 million and a new car, what was Jeremiah testifying boldly and plainly about? The coming of the Son of God. That's what he was preaching. And the atonement. Yeah. And for this, he was jailed and stoned and attacked and reviled. They wanted it a little more convoluted. And that kind of plainness, there's a son of God coming. At this point, they're about 600 years away. But he's coming. And here's his name. Here's what he'll do.
1: I wonder if they thought he was coming immediately and they were afraid their power would be taken.
0: How did Judaism... Change the fact that if you go back to Isaiah 53 remember the song of the, the suffering servant Isaiah is going he's going to come we, he will despise him he, he will be uh, uh, abused he'll be killed uh, and we won't recognize him by the time the, the understanding of some kind of Messiah had evolved to down at the time of the Savior what were they looking for? a military leader Mm -hmm. without looking at the beautiful truth of saying he's not going to come militarily he will come as the son of God and he will be killed and slain but that got altered over time Jeremiah plainly taught it that no he's going to come quietly peacefully to save people from their sins does that make sense and by the way I'm going to go back here now to Jeremiah again. One more reference, and I've got it here. Uh, 1 Nephi 1 19. Let me just hit it for a second. This is Lehi preaching at the same time as Jeremiah. Same arena, same people. The difference is, is that Lehi is probably a wealthy man, and Jeremiah is kind of the John the Baptist poor guy with raggedy clothes. And he spends all of his time in prison. Lehi is able to take his family and get out of Dodge. Don't you suppose? They yeah, knew not each fair. Other? Don't you suppose they knew each other? They knew each other. They had. I, I, I would believe that this group of prophets—Jeremiah, Lehi, Ezekiel—who's going to be caught up, maybe even Daniel as a younger lad—that this community of prophets would have had to meet together to kind of buoy each other up. Probably a school of the prophets that helped teach them. One of these days we'll get to know all of that. But they were going to be preaching the same thing, weren't they? Look at look at uh, Lehi. Verse 19, the Jews did mock him because of the things which he testified. He testified of their wickedness. He testified of the things which he wait a minute, saw and heard. Hold on. Let's go back to Jeremiah for just a second. What was the complaint against these guys in 21? Here, all foolish people, without understanding, which have eyes and see not, and ears and hear not. Wait, so, what what is Nephi doing? Oh, wait a minute! He's testifying of the things which he saw and, saw and heard. I'm not one of those who haven't seen, and I, I, I'm not blind. Okay, and also the things which he read in the book manifested plainly of the coming of a Messiah. That's what Lehi, That was the plainness that Lehi taught, Jeremiah taught, and this was the kickback that came to these guys. Because they were trying to say there is a Messiah coming. And he will come humbly and meekly and he will be crucified, but he will, be, he will save us from our sins. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, for years and years and years and years. And they had a sense that there was some secret stuff out there. Yeah. So, that they wanted to know. And so this brand of Jewish mysticism came up, what did we decide? It was about 100 BCE, yeah. era, that they began to try to figure out some of the, the mystic stuff, some of the, the mysteries of God.
0: Well, and there's, isn't there an advantage of, of if I know the mysteries? If there's a mystery, and I'm the one that knows it, can I take that to the bank? I can have people follow me, support me, give me money. Why? Because I have the true secrets. Remember that talk years ago that Bruce Arbukonki gave about going beyond the mark? Talked yeah. With that, <laughs> so we have to be careful as to how far we go into things that we don't Okay, yeah, that's I where I want to go. I think
1: the thing too is that they think it's going to happen quickly and it isn't. Yeah. Our time is not the same as God's time. No. So therefore, we think we things are going to happen a lot sooner than they are. And then when they don't, then they
0: start we, we don't know of anybody recently in the last number of years who's made a lot of money on being able to say, I know when Christ is coming, come <laughs> and join me.
1: And
0: Okay, and, again, and, and it's coming, I don't know, when Halley's Comet comes, and so come and join me, and we'll just hop on Halley's Comet when it comes, when the alien ship shows up, or when the second coming is going to come. Or like in the days of Sidney Rigdon, remember Sidney Rigdon took a bunch of people from Nauvoo, and they went back to Pennsylvania, and they were waiting actively for the second coming, and the idea was at the right moment you jump. And they would all like stand there and it's like at the moment we're going to get caught up. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, no, we came down. We're going to try it again. We gotta, if we're jumping at the right moment, we're going to, we know the secret and nobody else knows the secret. That's looking beyond the mark. And, and that is the most seductive thing. By the way, in church circles, the thing you should run from the most always is when, when we have very smart people in our midst who will say to you, I know things the prophets can't say. The brethren know these things, but they can't preach them openly. And because of that, I'm going to share with you the real stuff, the higher law that can't be preached elsewhere. And they become false prophets. But I'm not a false prophet. The brethren know this, but there's so many new members of the church; they can't handle the milk before them eat. So, but you're so smart, and you're so. I'm going to tell you, and we'll kind of meet secretly to discuss it. Boys, that happened a lot. It's the secret knowledge. Yeah.
1: I don't think always these, these people. Um, sometimes I think thoughts come to their mind, and and it becomes reality to them. I I had the missionaries teach a neighbor, uh, an older lady, and we all were just stunned when she talked started talking about walking with Christ along the river. Yeah. And, and I thoroughly believe in her mind you know, some of the things she talks about, speaking in tongues and things like mm-hmm. that. She thoroughly believes Oh sure. How many people are
0: are there out there who will say this? I, I may touch on a couple of tools here. Um, I, had, I had an article a few years ago published in the Ensign talking about taking your tents and fleeing. And man, when that hit the internet. There are people out there going, oh, they're finally talking about taking your tents and fleeing into the wilderness. And it was the gang that was like, it will be the tent city out between St. George and Las Vegas and remember the, the church truck, you're going to get a message in sacrament meeting that says, we warned you about your food storage. We warned you, we warned you, we warned you, we warned you. Now it's everlastingly too late. If you have your food storage, bring your food storage down to the state center. The trucks will be there to truck you off tomorrow morning. And you're going off to the tent cities because you won't have to be blistered like everybody else when the Savior's coming. But it only it's, it's the sacred knowledge only to those that were prepared and have your food storage. Everybody else is going to starve.
1: You were talking about If hearts. you go
0: LDS, tent cities, <laughs> there they are, and it's a big deal. Yeah.
1: We lived in the independent state. In oh, America. yeah, I'm
0: sure none of this ever happened in <laughs> Independence.
1: We three years in the early 90s and always had people moving in from Utah saying that they knew they were supposed to do be everything Right now.
0: We sold everything. We're coming here. Yeah. And how come, how come it wasn't given to the prophets where the prophets don't know. or They know it, but they just can't say it. Okay, there's this. Okay, yeah. Isn't
1: there something that goes along the lines of secret truths, I guess, to know
0: that
1: they just don't really stress it because it's a Like people call discourse, for instance,
0: the, the, hold on to that idea, because okay, there there's some complexity here that I want to touch base. Okay, um, uh, a okay. couple things to lead into this. So I want to talk about looking beyond the mark, and when I don't think it's looking beyond the mark, because I think there's some deeper understanding. We are all blind until we see, this was actually quoted by uh, Boyd K. Packard, we are all blind until we see that in the universal plan, nothing is worth the making if it does not make the man. Think about the temple. Why build these buildings glorious if man unbuilded goes? In vain we build the world, unless the builder also grows. The beauty of our temples on the outside. The greatest beauty of these things is not the beauty of the temple on the outside. It is the beauty of the people on the inside. The fact that we're building so many temples is really not focused on how many temples we can build. It's really how many people we can build. That we are the greatest monuments to the Lord, even more so than than the temples. Does that make sense? Okay, so to this idea then of plainness. Lead it to lead it to daughter, Neil A. Maxwell. Jacob speaks of ancient Judah as having rejected the words of the prophets. Intellectual embroidery. Remember, this is Neil Maxwell we're talking about. <laughs> I was listening back on one of his talks last night and I thought, I remember the times in general conference, I want to just freeze frame this. It's like, stop, let me just digest that last sentence before we move on to the next ten that are just as packed. It's always easier to read him than listen to him. Intellectual embroidery seems to have been preferred to the whole clothing of the gospel. The frills to the fabric. In other words, sometimes we get caught up in these intellectual things. In fact, one can even surmise that the complexity was preferred over plainness by some here we go, you ready? Uh, because in conceptual complexity there might somehow be escape or excuse for non-compliance and for failure. I didn't know. In this event, this incredible blindness which led to the rejection of these truths spoken by prophets which prevented the recognition of Jesus for who he was according to Jacob and Jeremiah came by looking beyond the mark. Those who look beyond plainness, beyond the prophets, beyond Christ, and beyond his simple teachings, waited in vain then as they wait in vain now. For only the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches of things as they really are and as they really will be. He's quoting Jeremiah. Without revelation and its absolute anchors, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would also follow the fads of the day. Think about that one currently. Would follow the fads of the day as some churches have done. But as Samuel Callan warned, the church, and listen closely, this is powerful, the church that weds itself to the culture of the day will be a widow within each succeeding age. (laughs) This is but one of the marks of the true and living church. is spared the fruits of fadism. What he's basically saying is the Savior keeps saying over and over in Isaiah and Jeremiah, the church is my bride, I am the bridegroom, keep your covenants to me. And he's saying so many churches, rather than wed themselves to the bridegroom, wed themselves to the fads of the world as they come along. Does that make sense? Wow, I think that's pretty powerful. Because we're going to, and the church, that's why the church will be increasingly out of favor and out of step with the rest of the world.
1: I think one example of that is the, um, they call it contemporary services, you know, where they have the big drop down and everything. Yes. Which is actually becoming less and less popular among worshippers these days.
0: Yeah, the idea behind the rock bands and all that is that there's a group of people that would want to hear that. And I, and I would imagine there's kind of a place for some, maybe it would be better for a group to go to a church and hear a rock band than not go to church at all. So there is a spot to that, but there is inside of us a draw towards a gospel that is this quietness of the spirit. That I, and sometimes that's a step along the way. But you're right, they become less. And those churches that have relied on the rock bands they're they struggling.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do, they do. Yeah. I was thinking about the uh, Jeff, is it Jeffers or Jeffers that set up the church in Arizona, Utah border, and yeah. those people are sacrificing and and you know the youth, a lot of them do not receive the educations and. They believe that they are so committed and dedicated to the That They're
0: very, very good people that have just kind of been caught up in all of the fundamentalism stuff. Okay, can I throw in one gadfly in the mix and try and keep this just (laughs) balanced? So on one side we have, we have Neil Maxwell, and he's saying it's about plainness, and the plainness is trust Jesus. Look to Him. Don't look beyond the mark. Okay? Now, here, this is an offset, but it's just to fill out the picture a little bit. So I'll go to the quiet little words here of uh, Sir Hugh Nibley, who was known kind of as the patron gadfly, I guess, and the patron saint of BYU. He was a
1: wise man. He was a wise man. And to
0: sit in his lectures, which I would do, and I just. You know, you really were drinking out of of a fire hose. You go, what, what, what what was that? But he also has a very definite views on things. Joseph Smith commends the Jews intellectual efforts. To the Latter-day Saints who lean too far, he's saying sometimes in the opposite direction. We're talking about plainness. Giving their young people and old awards for zeal alone. Zeal without knowledge. (laughs) For sitting in endless meetings for dedicated conformity and unlimited capacity for suffering boredom.
1: <laughs> sometimes
0: Hugh said the things that nobody else wanted to say. Basically, what he was saying is sometimes we're giving people awards for showing up, we're going to give them awards based on attendance without knowing what it is that they have learned just their attendance itself sitting through endless boredom means we will give you an award more like a purple heart i guess <laughs>
1: think that's a reflection of, a, of a contemporary society that's what we do with our kids. yeah you for being on the team you don't you
0: know, yeah yeah well that's why i think he would say if we're look if we're designing a young women's medallion we want to be able to go after what have you learned and your got and your learning gospel knowledge not just the fact that you were in all your meetings. That may play some part, but when we go too far the other way and we're just going to reward people for showing up, then we have people that have done the dance and not heard the music. That was the problem. Okay? Then they hear somebody else's music and they're confused. Oh, but he's not done.
1: <laughs>
0: we think it more commendable to get up at 5 a.m. to write a bad book than to get up at nine o'clock to write a good one. <laughs> that is pure zeal that tends to breed a race and listen close mm-hmm. <laughs> of insufferable self righteous prigs <laughs> and barren oh. minds. Yes.
1: <laughs> Seriously?
0: Amen. What? One has only to consider the present outpouring of inspirational books in the church that bring little new in the way of knowledge, truisms <laughs> and platitudes, quiche and cliches that have become our everyday diet. Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're gonna get hit by lightning here in a minute. My, my books are in there, dang it! The other store, yeah, one store, half of the books. Yeah, but my, mine are excluded from this. <laughs> yeah. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Back in the 70s, uh, was yes. I was a kid who lived in Orlando. My, my dad, there was no LDS bookstore, so he, actually should think there
1: was. But anyway, he started buying books, you know, church books, and collecting them. And my, my grandparents bought the business from him, and, and they have an LDS bookstore in Orlando. And um, I remember one, going one time and walking around the bookstore. I went up to my grandmother
0: and I said, I don't know where to begin it. I, You know, what do I pick from There's all And she goes, honey, all you really need. Is it scriptures? You know, yeah, you know, I'm I know.
1: bookstore owner. And my, and my father has published books. I mean, you know, she's not, she's not, but, you know. I, I know it's I always. What she was saying, you know, and I have little kids at times. She said, you know, time in season. Right now you probably don't have time to delve into. Yeah you you know. Yeah. So just like what you said, it's better to go to church and listen to a rock band than not, to go, not go at all. And there have been people that I've been as a busy teacher to that they, they couldn't, they, they weren't there yet, to just sit and read scripture. But if I had but, but, done something from Deseret book,
0: it yeah, would like, Yeah, I know. And that's part of what he was decrying. He said, there is a point at which we can rely too much on, especially for fluff. You know, and some of those things. Um, Okay, he's almost done. The prophet would never settle for that. I advise to go on to perfection and search deeper and deeper into the mysteries of godliness. And by that, he's really meaning the depth of the gospel. Study endlessly the things that are there. Because if you're going to, stu- and if you want to say, well, okay, I'm going to believe in Christ and trust Jesus, yeah, I, I, got, a, I got a question. If you want to have a deep, deep doctrinal discussion and experience, study grace. Just study grace. Follow all of the scriptural stuff and see how deep you can get in understanding grace. Oh my gosh. How about faith? We'll just start with the basics. We'll do faith, hope, charity, and love. Study faith. And he's going to say, the depth to that thing, on one side it is wonderful in plainness, and the gospel is very simple. But when you study the depth that is in those things, and that's what Hugh Nibley was saying, don't just get caught up in the cliches and the fluff. Study, read, dig, look. Um, It's one of the things I'm always proud about with you guys. here. You did how many hours of church yesterday? And you show up on Monday morning for more. And, and in a way that we can do it in depth, verse by verse, and take a year and a half to get through church history and two years to get through the New Testament, you guys are unbelievable. But that's the, that's the hungering for more underneath this in understanding this plainness is so deep. Does that make sense? Both are there. The prophet would never settle for this. I advise all to go on to perfection and search deeper and deeper into the mysteries of godliness and it's always been my province to dig up hidden mysteries, the new thing for my hearers. And then he says, it actually happens at the BYU, and that not rarely, that students come to a teacher, usually at the beginning of a term, with sincere requests that he refrain from teaching them anything new.
1: <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: You know, I'm studying physics. I don't want to really get too deep into the doctrine and covenants thing because I don't have time. Keep it, keep it simple. Which he was incapable of doing.
1: <laughs> they have no
0: desire, they explain, to hear what they do not know already. I cannot imagine that happening in any other school. Perhaps it does. Unless we go on to new things, we are stifling our powers. All he's saying is that sometimes in the rush for plainness, don't forget to study deeply and drink deeply from the wells of gospel knowledge that are available to us, especially with the Internet and, and, and the Scriptures, the way it's set up. Well,
1: you know, there's a the saying that, that freedom isn't free. Mm-hmm. And maybe we could also say that plainness isn't really
0: plain. <laughs> that would be a good way to put it. Plainness isn't really Plain. Um, All right. Well, let me just finish with this. We're running out of time here. I want to finish with these words in Jeremiah five. Your iniquities have turned you away from these things, and then listen to this. And your sins have withholden. Good things from you. One of the reasons we keep the commandments. Is that sin holds out out good things from us. The whisperings of the spirit. Deeper knowledge. The joy and happiness that comes from the gospel. And our sin. While it may look enticing at the time. Prevents us from being able to really enjoy and absorb. The good things that the Lord intends for us. Isn't that well said? For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait. As he that setteth snares. They set a trap. They catch man. And I love this. As a cage is full of birds. Picture this cage. And there's birds like fluttering around all over the place in this cage. You just have to see the imagery. As a cage is full of birds. So their house is full of deceit. So you walk into their houses. And what he's basically saying is. And before Josiah. Even the, the house of God was full of deceitful birds. In it, fluttering around. They are become great and waxen rich. 28. They are waxen fat and they shine. They overpass. And now, now think about right now the justice system. This is not a hit so close to home. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause, the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. The right of the needy they do not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? You are starving my poor and protecting the wicked. You are starving my poor and protecting the wicked because of their wealth. 30. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. Some of Jeremiah's worst persecution came from the other prophets who were kind of trying to protect their domain. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love it. My people love to have it sold. And what will you do in the end thereof? part of the power of Jeremiah is that it's so contemporary to what we see going on around us and again, while it may seem kind of a, like a negative bummer to have to do this, we, we have a chance to shine and so in the midst of all of this, we have a temple that's not doesn't have breaches we have for all the people that go into the temple perhaps unworthily think about all the people that are being builded into stronger more magnificent people and they're going into the temple righteously for all think of all the new temples that are springing up and all of the new people that spring up with it and are strengthened and empowered thereby that by doing they can go into the temple and learn and be taught in the university of God and be able to stand stronger than they would have without it I just think it's magnificent so yeah it's a bummer but at the same time, this is the, this is Jeremiah would have done anything to live in our day and see the amount of temples and the strength of the, the saints, because of everything he saw. Bury my testimony that uh, it's good stuff. I pray that we can kind of take these things to heart, and I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.